This is the Housemade Podcast. We're your hosts, John Vieira and Nick Bobbin. We're here to cover your questions about home bartending. So let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Uh, Housemade Podcast here again. Today, we're going to talk about gin. Uh, There's some different types. I think we're into, what, first couple weeks of May at this point as we're listening to it. So we're talking nice weather. We're talking about uh, drinking some Tom Collins, some martinis, um, or just drinking it on the rocks or straight if that's your kind of thing. So uh, let's learn about some gin. Yeah. So I think that we should probably start with a little bit of history about gin. There's actually quite a few different styles that I don't think a lot of people know of. So... Let's uh, let's go back all the way all the way to the time of the monks. I know monks are still around, but <clears throat> back when they wrote most of history, <laughs> back in their heyday, back in their heyday. Uh, so Geneva is where I want to start on our gin quest here. Okay, so point A on our timeline for gin, we're we're looking at Geneva. We're looking at Geneva way back in sixteen something. Wow. Yeah. Uh, well, because back then all of this distillation was an alchemy, right? And it was to try and prolong human life. Everybody was looking for um, the fountain of youth, if you will. So they were just distilling things, trying to make them into their purest forms, uh, which arose to them believing that they could take it as medicine. So Geneva actually comes from Holland um, and it the name itself I just found out was derived from the Latin word for juniper. Yeah. I guess that makes 100% sense. Yeah. And so, uh, the Dutch were originally distilling malted wine to 50% alcohol volume. Um, and then adding a quite a good amount of juniper back to it for flavoring mm. so that, that it was easier to drink. And so many great things have come out of, the, the monk's quest for like these, these yeah. elixirs. Like Think about the, like chartreuse. Chartreuse and Benedictine uh-huh. and all this stuff. It's like, wow, you guys really did the Lord's work and uh, come <laughs> up with some right delicious on the stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what okay. are some characteristics? Like how did this, this really come to be our first uh, gin product? Um, so I guess that, that has to, well, it's, so it's the, it's a, it's a spirit that tastes like juniper. Okay. So that, that's where our quest um, on the gin train goes, because as we'll get into later, the, uh, TTB's ruling on what makes gin gin is less than a sentence on how to become gin. Gotcha. Uh, we'll touch on that later. Um, so Geneva malted the biggest, the biggest difference from, um, current spirits of gin is that it's not a grain neutral. It's actually malted grain, which is way more similar to the process of like making whiskey to start. Gotcha. Um, so the final product itself is almost, if you would think about, uh, like if gin and whiskey had a baby. Okay. So, so it's, uh, it's like an unaged whiskey. That's very juniper, very pine tree like. Okay. So, uh, I guess it's, it's still very different than this, but almost, similar to like the concept of like a white lightning whiskey, like something that hasn't really been like barrel aged for, for that Mm -hmm. long. It's, it's, it's obviously a grain spirit. It's a, it's a whiskey, but this is going to be much less so obviously, but it does still have some of that maltiness to it. 
Oh yeah. And so that's, that's the, that's the biggest difference to it. And so it actually had fully disappeared off the market, um, in modern history until Bowles brand actually recreated it. Hmm. Um, won tons of awards on it, which is crazy that Bowles produces that. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. What else do they produce? Uh, all those crazy, like neon colored bottles. Like they're like the DeKuypers, you know, they're oh. like those weird, got big, long blue necks and they got like yeah, yeah. slotted lines all the way over and they make like puckers and all that kind of garbage. Oh, crazy. I yeah, didn't, I, realize, I didn't, I didn't even know. realize they were the same brands either. My mind almost melted when I figured that one out. Wow. I was okay. like, oh, weird. Um, but now there are lots of Genevers that are coming back to the market, especially with this whole big uh, resurgence. And I'm sure in, um, in Holland, and over there in, in Deutschland, uh, <laughs> that they've always made these uh, spirits. They probably never went away. But as far as like America goes and like a world stage, it's they're it's cool just that, starting to come back. It's cool that the Dutch people have such a heavy stamp on like a, a specific spirit or, or category. Just because like, man, Holland's really cool. I know. They're like. They make a lot of good food. Yeah, and, and spirits. their soccer team is also super good. <laughs> I was watching World Cup like a few years back when it was on, and like they were my favorite team. Okay, so I don't really want to go into Geneva super heavy because it's something that I don't think a lot of uh, our listeners are going to jump right into. I think we're more worried about gins that we can buy on the shelf and – uh, how to make cocktails with them and stuff like that, what they taste like, what the difference is. So that's just one of our categories of gin is actually Geneva. Yeah, let's look at... Uh, so fast, fast forward a little bit, when grain starts to get harder to come by in England, we start to see a shift into this Old Tom style of gin. Yeah, and Old Tom originally got kind of a bad rap because it was, it was just gin that everyone was making. They were making it in their bathtubs, they were... Yep. It was just all over the place. And so a lot of it was really, really bad. Nasty. And um, I was reading on here too that, um, so not only were the, the, the distilling techniques not that great. And we're, I mean, we're talking about 19th, 18th and 19th century now, bumping yeah. up a little bit. Yeah. So 17, 1800s, um, distilling techniques aren't good and there's no regulation and people are putting um, arsenic or no, not arsenic, um, turpentine. Turpentine, yeah. yeah. Turpentine and sulfuric acids into these products to kind of stretch them out a little bit to make a little bit more money. So the English were adding sugar now to these. So now you have like a neutral grain spirit that's pretty awful that still has juniper flavoring to it, but now with the added of sugar. Yeah, just to make it tolerable. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so that, what were you finding out about um, uh, the old Toms and the barrel aging and, and stuff like that? Well, so there were, apparently there was a lot of really big inconsistencies. There was a lot of gin being exported at that point in time, a lot of it um, being sent to America. Mm-hmm. And um, just due to that, that, um, that process, right, like barrels traveling – over overseas to America and stuff like that, you had a lot of uh, inconsistencies with these products. Uh, so some were much more aged, and some were sweeter or less sweet. And so uh, it was 
it was really difficult to get um, a real pinpoint on exactly what this gin should taste like, I guess. You were just getting so much variation. Uh, but the biggest difference that you mentioned earlier, moving into that old Tom style gin, is that since the grains were getting harder to come by, they started relying a lot more on uh, essentially like a neutral spirit, like essentially a vodka, mm-hmm. and then using the the juniper and the other botanicals um, to kind of infuse um, into there in the, in the distillation process. So it, it really became kind of a different thing altogether um, than what the Geneva was. And then that also kind of takes you to that next step that we're going to talk about, which is kind of our London dry style. And that's what I think most of us are familiar with when you think of gin, right? You, you think of that London dry style. But what I thought was most interesting about <clears throat> the Old Tom, and I didn't, I didn't realize this until I started looking things up, um, it's, it's sort of, uh, I guess it's sort of the bridge between London dry and Geneva, not just timeline-wise, but flavor-wise. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit sweeter than your typical very dry, uh, London dry style, but it's also not as malty, not quite as sweet as the Geneva. Uh, but I thought this was really interesting. Apparently the British government was, um, (laughs) really trying to stem the flow of, Hey, it's a taxation without representation. That's why we're America. Exactly. Uh, but we still wanted their gin apparently. Oh yeah. We're all alcoholics. So yeah, they were really trying to, uh, stem that flow and uh with with all their taxes and everything like that and so yeah because what was it called it was called the gin act of 17 or 1830 something yeah i don't remember the year at all i was okay you you read i'll look it up uh but essentially because of everything that was happening it kind of drove that whole scene underground um and so they they had these uh these plaques i guess like these Mm -hmm. wooden plaques uh that were up on the outside walls of pubs uh, at street level essentially and they had like a like the old tom cat uh kind of on this thing and and you would literally walk up and put money into this like pipe or tube or something like that and you'd receive a shot of this old tom gin Uh, and it was like this really cool weird secret thing that they were doing i just thought that was really interesting um what year was did you find that? Okay, year? yeah. So it was um, it was called the Gin Act of 1751, and it essentially looks. I haven't got all the way through this, but it looks like a prohibition style um, thing that the government was doing, kind of much how our government is doing it with guns right now, where yeah. they're just putting in a heavy excise tax on these products. They were doing the same thing with gin. Gotcha. They yeah, were trying to curb it, the consumption. Yeah, it's kind of what it seemed like. Um, a couple practical applications before we jump uh, too far into the next level. Uh, when you think of Old Tom Gin, uh, it's it's had kind of a large uh, resurgence in the whole craft cocktail movement that's been happening for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you have these really great classic cocktails like uh, Martinez and Tom Collins and stuff like that that were typically always made with an Old Tom style gin. And so since some of these brands are available, like Ransom is uh, a favorite of ours that we use. Um, Which I, I found all about. I found a bunch of stuff about that. Oh, cool. That. So, yeah, there's there's some really great uh, classic cocktails that, that you know, you can make them with London Dry. but They're twice really, as good. Yeah, that really wasn't the intention. That's not how they were originally made. So if you want to taste one of these mm-hmm. kind of 
in the flesh, so yeah. to speak, you're going to want uh, like an old Tom. Tom. Okay, so that ransom, right? Guess who had a heavy hand in making that? Dave Wondrich. Oh, I was yeah, I was going to guess that. That seemed too obvious. <laughs> it's, yeah, I, dude makes it. Uh, dude, that guy. He's he's cocktail historian of all time. Yeah, that guy's incredible. I, I almost feel kind of stupid even trying to cover like, like history. history of it. Yeah. Ah, well, whatever. It's history out of our mouth. Yeah. Just just know that when you listen to what we're saying, you should absolutely go find what he's saying about it. Yeah, yeah. He knows if, if you really, yeah, do. if you really want to figure out <clears throat> the actual history. Dave Wondrich. He's got a few books out. Yeah, he's the he's man. the cocktail historian. Uh, he's he's the guy. He's the dude that writes the textbooks. So like yeah. his word goes. Um, but so I was reading about uh, I was reading about the old Tom uh, trying to brush up, and it was saying that like everything else, prohibition in America had essentially killed that old Tom, and then by the fifties it all but dried up. The dude from Ransom. Uh, which is a uh, winery and distillery in Oregon. And oh, yeah. Was ha- yep, and was hanging with Dave Wondrich, and he was thinking about distilling gin, and, and Wondrich goes, you need to do Old Tom. And so they actually produced it based off of Dave Wondrich's research of what it looks like, tastes like, like all that kind of stuff, and they they essentially recreated it. That's awesome and because since then, there's a ton more out on the market. I forgot that um, Ransom was the brand of yeah. those vermouths mm-hmm. that we were They're super good, having. too. Those were amazing. Everything out of that Ransom distillery is awesome. Yeah, the sweet vermouth especially was so good. Can mm-hmm. you imagine a, a Martinez cocktail with that? Um, the Old Tom, little bit of Luxardo. Oh, Ooh. yeah. That was, that's Damn. a full package. Okay, so after Old Tom dried up, we start to get into modern distillation techniques and London dry is what pops up. And London dry style gin is, I think what most people think of when they think of gin. I think so. It's, it's by far, at least in this area, it's, it's what you see on the shelf all the time. Well, and it's everything that I like, we talk to people, that's grandma's gin. That's what she drank was, was London dry. Well, that super pine tree pine tree yeah yeah well apparently uh so the these gin uh rules and regulations that we're we're talking about there's there's kind of different guidelines based on the type of gin that we're talking about so what i had read previously that i thought was interesting was london dry is seen uh by a lot of people as the purest form of gin uh just because it's essentially the base. There are other botanicals in it, but it's very minimal. Right. It's it's got to have that juniper as as the number one driving force, but it also um, it can only contain 0.01 grams of sugar per liter, mm. um, and it has to be distilled with botanicals for flavor. So it can't have any artificial uh, flavors or additives. Whereas uh, other distilled gins that you might find on the shelf that aren't uh, labeled as London Dry or things like that. Um, they can have those artificial flavors and, and some of that stuff. So uh, for a lot of the aficionados, I should say yeah. the London dry category is seen as like the, gotcha. the it category. Uh, so that also might have to do with um, the way that Jen's produced actually too, because a lot of those uh, funkier, fuller flavored gins with a lot of other characteristics to it, those are pot stilled ones. So they're distilled first then they're redistilled with botanicals, but you're only getting the alcohol by volume up into like the 50s to 70% and then cutting it down with water. 
as to where another way of making gin is in a column still and with what's called a gin basket where they pack all the botanicals into the head of of the still itself and the alcohol vapors condense through it which strips all the flavor now that's going all the way up to like 90% alcohol by or 96% ABV so it's the same process as like vodka making uh, this was saying that you just get the the flavor of juniper over everything else and the flavor itself is a much is a lot less which is usually how they make london dries is from my understanding gotcha um, the, the other interesting thing to note is just based off the description, uh, and the details that we just looked at, it would make it seem like every London dry would essentially taste the same, but just like every other spirit category we've talked about, there's massive differences Variations, yeah. uh, in flavor, just based on specific distillation methods, um, regions, things like that, because technically London dry gin can be made anywhere in the world and with anything. Yeah. Uh, juniper does have to be the main botanical, but a lot of times you get um, like fresh citrus peels, coriander, things like that. And so uh, you end up with these really unique products. And so if you are a fan of of gin and you're a fan of those botanicals, it's really worth kind of looking at some of these on their own, tasting them and seeing what you like the best and maybe what would lend itself to certain drinks or applications better than uh, maybe some other products. Because there's really a lot of variants and uh, something like uh, Roku gin. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a it's Suntory, isn't it? Yeah. So Japanese. it's a Japanese gin. It's uh, I think it's kind of new on the scene. At least it is in this region. Uh, but it's it's been selling like wildfire at our bar, and it's really tasty. Um, and we'll get into this on the next episode. We're actually going to taste some gins and and talk about them. But that one in particular is not a London Dry style, and so. And so what's that What's that next style out of so, London so Dry? So ne- the next step is now referred to as international style, yeah, be, so, I guess, PC. Yeah, when I first learned about it, it was called New American style. Right. Um, and that is actually a lot of gins that you may not— It's it's everything that's not London Dry. And there's, there's, yeah. almost, there's almost no Genevers, no Old Toms on the market. So you're essentially looking at New International or— London Dry when you go to the store. Right. So uh, even what things like uh, some really big names like Hendrix yep. is considered an international style. Yep. They're all about um, the cucumber. Yeah. They got a big cucumber push. Um, man, there's a whole bunch of them. I can't even remember what they all are now. But essentially, if your bottle doesn't say London Dry on it, it's a, it's basically a uh, international style. Yeah. And well, those are e- everywhere. They well, still they still have juniper forward, but they're they do, like yeah. lavender, cucumber, citrus. They have a different like big botanical push behind exactly, them. and that's and that's where that Roku one falls into, which is why it's so tasty. Roku uh, means six in Japanese, mm-hmm. I believe, and so the bottle's really cool. It's it's actually um, it's got six different panels, and uh, the bottle is molded with um, the botanicals on each panel, like um, pressed into the, it. Yeah, it's yeah, really the six cool. Primary botanicals that it's uh, made from, and you know, when you taste something like that versus any other gin, like it's different. And so it's it's very noticeable mm-hmm. how different it is. Um, so with that, um, the other category that we're not really going to dive into too much, but there is uh, a fifth category. Uh, it's called Plymouth style. Um, and it's kind of strange that it has its own category since it's only one distillery that produces it. 
That that was a good marketing push on their part. <laughs> yeah, but it's one of the oldest distilleries in the UK, um, and so it's oh, okay. so it's notable. All right, all right. Uh, the British Royal Navy loved this product so much that they actually requested the higher proof version of it as well. Oh, uh, is that why they call it Navy Strength? Yeah, which is known as the Navy <laughs> That's Strength. That's great, um, and it is really good gin. It's it's a completely different experience than like your typical London dry. But I will tell you, if you're a fan of Negronis. Uh, one of my f- absolute favorite Negronis is uh, Plymouth Gin, Carpano Antica, oh, Sweet yeah. Vermouth, and Campari. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's otherworldly. It's so good. That's okay. So that essentially is the categories of gin. I want to read you the TTB thing on this and then touch on the on the gin categories again. So the TTB says to become gin. It is spirits with a main characteristic flavor derived from juniper berries produced by distillation or mixing of spirits with juniper berries and other aromatics or extracts derived from these materials and bottled not less than 40% alcohol by volume. That's it. That's it. There's like eight pages on whiskey. That's it for Jim. <laughs> well, whiskey's a little... <laughs> whiskey's quintessentially American. Yeah, um, a little over the top. But so then, so then within that gin category... I guess I guess it's I guess we should also note that it's not these categories aren't government mandated. They're very much like a loose industry type of term, more or less. Um, unless I'm wrong, I don't know. I I, I couldn't don't find think so. government regulation yeah, or anything. I, not not to my knowledge, I'll say. So then we have so we have Geneva, we have Old Tom, London Dry, New International, and Plymouth. Plymouth, yeah. Is there more? Is there anything that we didn't find? No, I believe there's just the the just five. The five. Well, as of this time of recording in okay. 2021. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so Plymouth, there could be more. Plymouth as well. Uh, I don't know if it's 100% across the board, but I'm pretty sure Plymouth gin as a style, which is really only that one distillery anyway, is pot stilled, which is mm-hmm. worth noting. Because, there's a couple that are. Yeah, there's a few that are, but it, it really contributes, as we learned uh, from rum. Yeah. It contributes a much different um, flavor and overall experience. And, and texture, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, for me, in, in just the things that I tend to like, pot stilled is like kind of like primo. Oh, That's pot like, stilled is great. And well, it's because you're not stripping everything out. You're not distilling all the way up to nothing and then just adding water and whatever you want back to it. Yeah. Like there's a time and a place for that. But as, as far as like the art of distillation goes, you're talking about fermenting something. So you're letting bacteria eat it and then poop out alcohol. And then you're essentially boiling off everything else except the alcohol, the poop of the bacteria, and drinking it. Yeah. Man, as you're making me thirsty sound. with all this talk. <laughs> that's crazy. But, like, there's there's a real art to it, and I that's, I, I think that I'm, like, I'm a bit advocate uh, with you on the pot still. Okay. I think it's, I think pot still is awesome. Cool. Well, I mean, at this point, let's break into uh, our next episode. If you guys want to stick around with us, we are going to be tasting some gins. we got a few different uh, mm-hmm. styles as well. Um, and we're just gonna we're just gonna taste some stuff. It won't be a blind uh, taste test like we've done, just because there's a lot more variation. We'd probably be yeah, able to tell we couldn't which figure out how we, to do a blind taste. We may on do gin. one in the future with just, just London dry styles. London dries. Yeah, some of our top brands, uh, at least in this region, we might we might do a shootout with those just for fun. Uh, but today we're just gonna taste them. We're just gonna look at them. Yeah. Well, actually, so for our listeners that are listening when this comes out, we'll be tasting this in two days. 
So come back and check us out. That's true. Yeah, if you're listening to this uh, live, yeah. on, <laughs> live on release on, day, yeah, it'll be out Friday. Friday, I yeah. think. Yeah. So in two days. Uh, but we're gonna taste. Well, which ones are we doing? We're doing. So we have old um, Boise gin. Yep, old Boise gin, just made out of Koenig, right, right here where we live. Yeah. Um, we got the Roku that we talked about. Yep, we got Roku. The Suntory Japanese one. Uh, we got Tanqueray Ten because we've neither one of us have tried yeah, it. Yeah, I've heard from many people that That's it like awesome is amazing, and I've never had it. So we got Tanqueray Ten, and then um, what was the? Oh wait, what was the last one? Oh, it was Big Gin. Oh, Big Gin. Yeah, yeah it was that's Big right. Gin. Big Gin. Okay. Yep, that's a that's a uh, Northwest spirit. Yeah, and it's a really popular uh, London dry yep. option yeah. around these parts. So, um, so yeah, come back, check us out. Um, let's uh, let's yeah, taste some gin. Let's do it. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.